The Boiler Breakdown Podcast is brought to you by Mad Mushroom, home of the original cheese sticks. Proudly serving Purdue's campus, Mad Mushroom offers Boilermakers amazing pizza, cheese sticks, wings, grinders, and so much more. Next time you visit, tell them Boiler Breakdown sent you for $5 off any order over $20. Mad Mushroom, feed your head. The Boiler Breakdown Podcast is brought to you by Webb's Family Pharmacy. Webb's Family Pharmacy is an independently owned community pharmacy with stores located in Rochester, Akron, and North Manchester, Indiana. Webb's is happy to announce that they are providing flu shots by appointment right in your car. Simply call to set up an appointment and their friendly and caring staff will be happy to help you. For all of your high quality medical equipment, supplies, and pharmacy services, check out www.webrx.com or give them a call. Webb's Family Pharmacy, the professional pharmacy with the hometown touch. The Boiler Breakdown Podcast is sponsored by Shroff Landscaping. Shroff Landscaping has been in business for over 50 years and can handle all of your landscaping needs, including landscape design, maintenance, irrigation, hardscaping, fall cleanup, and they are licensed lawn applicators. Contact Mitch Melton today for all of your landscaping needs at 317-694-9763. Shroof Landscaping, design with you in mind. This is Carson Edwards from the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to the Boiler Breakdown Podcast, hosted by Tanner Lee, Evan Webb, and Andrew Eiler. And it's Sunday, October 4th, 2020, and you're listening or watching the Boiler Breakdown Podcast. I'm Tanner Lee, along with my co-hosts, like always, Andrew Eiler and Evan Webb. Guys, I think this is the first time we've recorded live since our uh, draft back in July. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. I think, was it was it decided I won that draft, I think? <laughs> False. No. <laughs> I, actually, I think on the official vote on social media, I think Evan got Evan, the most yeah, vote. Yeah, I know. I know I was last. So, <laughs> so I will surprise, take it. surprise. So, but uh, no, glad to get the band back together. And we're going to, you know, Evan and I, what was it? Uh, week ago, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. two weeks ago now? Yeah. We relive the Joe Tiller era, so we're going no. in order. Today's the Danny Hope era of Purdue football, which was, consists of the year 2009 to 2012. I guess I got a question for both of you at the start. When you think of the Danny Hope era, what first comes to your mind? Andrew, you go first. It's kind of forgotten because I just kind of – after I think Daryl Hazel – the Daryl Hazel year is kind of like – cloud over it for me where yeah. it just kind of all runs together. I guess I, I didn't realize until I was looking back at this that Joey Elliott, that was his first year with Hope. Like I was that's what I think of was Joey Elliott just because of him kind of coming out of nowhere. I didn't think I did not know a single thing about him before that year. And I just remember how well he performed, I guess, compared to what I was expecting. Yeah, Joey that's what um, stands out to me. Yeah, he was a fifth year senior that year mm-hmm. and we'll we'll get more into specifics about that. But I do remember the year before <clears throat> Tiller pulled Painter, and it was going to replace him with Joey Elliott at Northwestern. Elliott came in, and shortly after he came in, he separated his shoulder and mm-hmm. was done for the rest of the year. So it seemed like every time it looked like he was going to get his chance, something bad happened because he was a decent recruit coming out of Evansville, Indiana, in high school. And, yeah, he just he took advantage of his chance when he when he got yeah. out under hope and um, flourished for sure. I think for me it's a lot of – I mean, you had some – some decently high highs, but definitely some some low lows. Um, I felt like it's just kind of 
usually it was you, you know we beat who we were supposed who we were supposed to beat. Um, you might get you know an upset here or there with Ohio State, but even then those Ohio State teams weren't that great anyway. So it's just the I don't know. They're, they're pretty well, good. Two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, they were not good. I just yeah. had two thousand eleven because I was a, I was a freshman that year. Um, but then you didn't really we didn't really surprise anybody for the most part. So it was kind of you 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 beat who you're supposed to beat. You lost who you're supposed to lose to. Um, and you went yeah. to Detroit. And you went to Detroit. Kind of average. Yeah. But but we would have taken average for the period <laughs> after that. Yeah. So I think it was weird because I remember going looking back. I remember, it, I mean, I was a kid at the time, but I remember feeling ready for a coaching change at the time, just because I mean Tiller was was getting up there in age and on his way out. Um, so I definitely was ready for a new coach and everything we heard about Danny Hope. He was a fiery guy, players coach, but just I think sometimes he was too much of a players coach. I think you guys were both spot on. Um, and, and I think listeners of the podcast that aren't brand new listeners already know that I was a manager for the Purdue football team two years at Purdue, and that was 2011 and 2012. Um, so two years under Danny Hope is the last two years. 2011, I was a volunteer manager, and what that is is it's kind of like a trial run to see if you like it well enough to stay. So I worked, I believe it was two practices a week. Maybe it was three, but I think it was two practices a week. And I got to work three different home games. And then 2012, I became a full-time manager. So I did every single practice and I did all the home games, but I only got to go on one road trip, which usually if you're full-time, you get to go on all the road trips, but we had too many managers. So there was three of us who only went on one road trip. So I got to be around Danny and the staff and the players quite a bit those two years. So I kind of have a different a little different outlook than some fans might, but, um, but yeah, I think you guys were both kind of spot on when I think about it. I think that he was very close to having a really good program for four years, but like Evan said, he would slip up. His teams would slip up when they couldn't afford to at times, and then they would shock people on the flip side. And, and, and another huge thing was indecision of quarterback is what I Oh, and yeah. sometimes it was due to injury, but other times it was just due to they didn't know which one to play. I have two guys. Yeah. They went with the two-quarterback system for uh, two two of those years. So so we'll, we'll get all get right into that here momentarily. But first, got to bring up this overlay picture here. I think I shared this last time on the Joe Tiller one. But going into the, into the 2008 season, Morgan Burke decided it was time to find a replacement for Joe Tiller. Joe was going to retire. And it looked like a lot of people, I think, just thought it was going to be Brock's back, all-time defensive coordinator. And in the end, they chose Danny Hope, who had experience being at Purdue. He was the O-line coach in the late 90s and the early 2000s, including that Rose Bowl run. So I did like that about him, I remember. But I remember being a little frustrated it wasn't Brock's back. Do you guys remember that at all? A little bit. Um, I remember, I mean, I'm thinking of one of Brock's back, but um... – I mean, I don't remember it too much. I remember when they made the decision, I, I, from what I remember, I feel like I was okay with it. Uh, I think Tanner was like you where I wanted SPAC, but ended up being, you know, pretty okay with it, knowing that he had, you know, been a coach already and he was kind of in the family. So mm-hmm. that was kind of where I was at. Yeah, I don't really remember how I felt when Hope was hired. I think I just assumed it was like, oh, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Bring on Spack, but then I was well, like, I mean, okay, actually, yeah. actually, what I think now to kind of jog my memory, I think I was probably more okay with the newer Tanners because it reminded me a lot of um, Painter and Katie, where we brought someone in. I was like, oh, this is what you do. So it was, you know, that worked out pretty well. 
for us for the most part. So why not, you know, do the same thing for football? Yeah, just it's a it's an interesting, interesting move. You don't see tons of programs do it, but it gives your head coach in waiting a head start in recruiting because they can go out and try to sign their class and get on the road. And that, like like you said with Painter, that got them a head start getting Robbie Hummel, Scott Martin, Etwan Moore, and Juwan Johnson. Has have you seen any? I mean, so Purdue did it twice there, very close together with Katie and Painter, and then Tiller and Hope. I mean, I don't follow that many other programs all that closely, but I don't know of. I can't think of any other coach that was hired that way semi recently. I know so, it's. I mean, Texas, it makes so much sense. But yeah. when Mac Brown was at Texas for years, they uh, at least it was believed that uh, Wes Munchet, Munchet, yeah. their defense coordinator, was going to be the next guy. But then he left to take the Florida job. But I mean, Mac with Katie and when Painter came in, it was like, yeah, Katie's last year, Painter's head coach next year, this year, mm-hmm. associate head coach, whatever. But next year, you're the head coach. Same thing, Hope was there. You're the head coach next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's other instances, but I can't recall one recently. I can't either, and that's what I was thinking. Like, it makes so much sense, and Purdue did twice there and back to back. Yeah, two- has has Butler done anything either? Is have they done anything for basketball? I don't feel like they. No, I don't know. I guess I don't. I don't know what they did when like, with, like transitioning from like Mata. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so because they were all leaving to go right. to bigger jobs. It wasn't like yeah. they retired. Only one I yeah. could think of was maybe like Barry Collier when he left. I think I don't know if he left. I think he went straight from coaching to be the AD. I don't think he coached anywhere else after. So maybe he kind of did. I don't remember who was right after him though. If that was. I, I do also remember Paul Christ, now the head coach of Wisconsin. He was kind of in the mix, too. Yeah. I believe yep. he got – I could be mistaken, but I believe he got offered a job and turned it down, mm. I think. Mm. I could be wrong about that, but he was definitely in the mix. I remember you've said that. You've talked about that, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, and like we said, Danny Hope got out in 2008 and got an early start on his recruiting class. And some of the contributors in his first recruiting class, he signed out Tarek McBurse, which was a – at the time, one of the highest-rated running backs in Purdue history. He chose Purdue over Nebraska, I believe, was his final two. He's a four-star out of Florida. Got Antoine Higgs, who's a three-star he had offered from South Carolina. Gabe Holmes, three-star tight end, who had offers from Florida State, among others. And he played for one of the top five high schools in the nation his senior year. Uh, Gary Bush, another speedster from Florida. Josh Johnson, Rob Henry, and Tavian Edison. All those guys were Florida guys. Had Keith Carlos, who was a junior college transfer, and Kevin Pamphile. So, um, and the first class ended up being rated on rivals the seventy fourth class, the nation on scout was the seventy first. So, yeah, look, at, look at the class right now. I'm not seeing. There's not a single kid from Indiana on his first recruiting class. Sorry, Tanner. Had, yep. Did you did you say Gabe Holmes? I meant to I did. I did okay, say Gabe. Sorry, no, you're fine. Um, he definitely had a plan in place, and that was to get speed, speed, and more speed. Yeah. And attack Florida. That was his kind of his recruiting strategy throughout the four years he was at Purdue. Mm-hmm. So that never really changed. That and, and get as many quarterbacks as he could. Yeah, <laughs> which is never never really a bad thing, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, going into the spring, his first spring ball, we kind of talked about this up in the intro. All eyes were on Joey Elliott as it was his team now. It looked like it was going to be Justin Sellers' team after the 2008 season, but Justin got in some academic trouble, got kind of kicked out of school for a year. So then it became Jelly Elliott's chance. He'd been waiting for this. You know, he's behind Curtis Painter, who was a pretty good college quarterback, had a few years in the NFL there. So uh, finally got his chance, and 
never really looked back. I mean, yeah. he ends up starting every single game for the Boilers that year, and uh, we didn't have a quarterback. We haven't had a quarterback. David Blau did that, I believe, in 2016. But besides that, we haven't had a quarterback do that. Yeah. I think David Blau did that in Daryl Hazel's last year, if I remember correctly. But going into the 2009 season, here's a picture of the media guy. You got Danny Hope, Ryan Kerrigan, who's going to his junior, and Mike Neal going into his senior year. Those two were kind of the big focus on the defense side of the ball. The model around the team was one. We are one. Take it one game at a time. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember. I remember getting the shirt. Yeah, that pretty cool shirt that was that was out. But um, I remember being pretty excited because 2008 was kind of a, a letdown year, going four and eight. But new attitude, you know, just just what what's this going to bring? So some exciting games on the schedule. And then here's a golden black cover of Camp Hope. It says Optimus rings as season nears. So the Danny Hope era kicked off with a game against Toledo at home, which the Boilers dominated 52-31, thanks to Ralph Bolden having uh, the third highest rushing yardage in school history for a single game, 234 yards, kind Mm -hmm. of a hello college football world. I remember he got a helmet sticker on college uh, game day final, I believe that show was at night. They used to do the helmet sticker state of play to watch that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was uh, pretty cool. Carson Wiggs hit a big field goal. I think it was a 59-yarder that game. So uh, it was was a really good start. And it's kind of interesting to me that his first game as a Purdue coach was against the same opponent Tillers was. Mm -hmm. Different outcome. Different outcome, different different location as well. But um, interesting one. So Purdue gets off to 1-0 start, and then they go out to Oregon, who was just becoming a really good program. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they're not – they weren't what they are now, mm-hmm. but uh, this was Chip Kelly's second game as Oregon's head coach. They lost the week pr- prior at Boise State, and their star running back, Garrett Blount, got suspended for the Purdue game because he threw a punch yep. and hit a guy after the game mm-hmm. in the loss against Boise State. But still, Autzen Stadium is one of the loudest in college football. It's very unique with a forest literally right behind the stadium. So the the uh, echoes and cheers of the crowd bounce off and, and come back in. And I actually went back and watched some of this game this morning. I had not watched any of it since we watched it at your house, Evan. Yeah, for so your really birthday. In there in your basement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is a, one of those late games, those really yeah. late starts. West Coast, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I – had I guess falsely remembered, I thought we were in control for most of the game. While we did have the lead here and there, it was more of a back and forth game, really. I thought what I was remembering was the first half. Purdue, I don't know if they were up at halftime, but I know they'd blown some. Seventeen, seventeen and a half. Okay, when they but Purdue had blown a couple up. I remember. I thought I remember being Purdue was either leading and felt pretty good because like they should have been. Yeah, I, I thought I remember feeling good at halftime, and I thought it was all downhill after that. They definitely made some mistakes. Uh, Joey yeah. threw a pick six in the second quarter, and then in the third corner, when it kind of went up downhill, was Oregon had a scoop and score, and it was literally on a fumble from the center to quarterback exchange. It hit Joey Elliott's hands, it fell, and somehow the ball got kicked, went directly <laughs> left like 20 yards, and Oregon scooped and scored, and it was kind of downhill from there. Oregon gets the lead, and then we score and tie it up in the fourth, but get the PAT blocked. Mm-hmm. Oregon goes back down, scores again. We're driving. We get stalled. We have a fourth and 11 play at the 15-yard line. And I think this to this day, Gary Nord's best play call 
during his tenure as the offense coordinator at Purdue. He threw, it was a reverse to Keith Smith, who came in Purdue as a quarterback. Yep. Keith mm-hmm. threw it to Aaron Valentine, who jumped up, made a good catch. So that got us within two. We went for the two points. Joey rolled out through it to Kyle Adams, the tight end. He caught the ball but wasn't able to get a foot down and bounds. I remember that, yep. Where they just had changed that rule. If the rule was the same the previous year, that would have counted because he got forced out by the yeah. guy. So um, Purdue ended up losing that game 38 to 36, and the cover of Golden Black was so with the O's and the Oregon uh, logo close. Boilers missed chance for upset at Oregon because, uh, yeah, that, that home and home with Oregon was two painful losses. Yep. He had the double overtime loss at home the year before mm-hmm. and then the close loss out there. So, yeah. But uh, I, I still remember feeling pretty good after two games. I'm like, we, yeah. we dominated Toledo. It was a middle-of-the-road middle, middle of the road MAC team. We were real close from pulling the upset. And I loved Hope's fire at Oregon. I remember them running out, and the crowd was booing us, of course, because that's what you would do to visitors. And he started doing, like, the Hulk Hogan <laughs> airway for the crowd. I'm like, I'm like, we haven't had this kind of moxie well, in a coach. Right. <laughs> you know, Tiller wasn't that way. So um, he was definitely a fiery guy at the beginning, for sure. So. <laughs> Then we return home to face Northern Illinois, another Mac school, and this is where things kind of started to go to south. Um, we kind of talked about the intro. This is where it was like uh, one of those games you should win, but don't. Uh, they end up losing that game 28-21. I just remember Aaron Valentine. He had a punt return for a touchdown, which I believe is Purdue's last punt return for a touchdown. It's been 11 years. But he also had a couple fumbles. I think he lost at least two that game. So – very costly, simple mistakes. And then uh, primetime game the next week, the Irish come into town for a night game on the ABC. And this is where I think the fans and the media start to turn on Danny Hope, and he never really regained them during it. So it's only his fourth game, but uh, they end up losing a game. Yep. I, I, I went back and watched the ending last night just because I wanted to remember the exact details. Yeah. Uh, Purdue down 17 to seven going into the fourth quarter. Then the defense starts playing well. We get the ball um, pretty early in the fourth quarter. We score, throw a touchdown to Keith Smith to get it 17-14. And then uh, we run a beautiful wheel route to Jason Taylor, who was wide open, scores to get the lead uh, 20 to 17 before the PAT with 341 left. And Evan, do you remember how loud that stadium was on that play? Yeah, I was there and that was fun. Because it really felt like when Jason crossed the goal line there that we were going to steal one that we didn't really deserve because we were getting outplayed for a majority of the of the game. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Clausen was on pretty much one wheel because he had a hurt foot. So mm-hmm. Dane Chris was coming in now and then, kind of switching it up. But the uh, Notre Dame got the ball back with uh, a little over three and a half left to play. And of course we all remember the ending, which we're going to talk about here soon. But one play I forgot until I watched today was we had them third and 14 during that drive. And they were able to pick up 17 yards on the completed pass mm-hmm. with ease over the middle of the field. I'm assuming. Yeah. Nope. Sideline. Ah, <laughs> 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 that route, but it oh, was just wide like, open middle tight end. So, yeah, wide open number 83. I forget who he was. Um, it was just like, wow. Like I, I completely forgot about that. So, I mean, you stop them there, it's fourth and 14, you probably got to win the game. But uh, anyways, Notre Dame's driving. They get in scoring range. 
they uh, threw an incomplete pass on first down, tried to throw a fader out to Golden Tate. We uh, David Penner broke it up. Second down, they run a draw, and they're out of timeouts. So they're kind of scrambling. They're not sure what to do. It looks like Jimmy's motioning for the spike. There's kind of chaos going on. Danny Hope decides to call timeout with 36 seconds left on third down, which gave Notre Dame time to regroup, figure out what they want to do. Um, and then he threw an incomplete pass on third down, but then he found it was, I mean, all or nothing on fourth down. He found Kyle Rudolph for the eventual game winning touchdown. For some reason, my memory makes me think that I thought I kept thinking the timeout was before the touchdown. So like the timeout. Two plays. Yeah, yeah. I, I I remember that incorrectly then, but I was I the longest time I've always thought that it was the timeout, and then they got it, so it made it a lot worse in my mind. And to this day, it's still kind of head scratcher why he did it. I mean, the announcers were surprised; they thought maybe it was he wanted to give the defense time or the offense more time in case Notre Dame did score, which that's the only plausible thing I can think of. But even then, that's not putting a lot of faith in your defense. No. So that was yeah, kind really. Of- uh, Looking at our comments, that was uh, when we posted the other day about how yesterday about how we're going to record this podcast. One of the comments was from Ryan Blankenship about how that's one of his biggest members of the Lost Nerd name at home. It was called a timeout with seven seconds, but Jimmy ended up winning it for him. So, right there with you, Ryan. Yep. Yeah, that would end up being Charlie Weiss's last game against Purdue as a head coach. Um, I think. I think they made a bowl. They could have made a bowl game, but they declined it because I think they went six and six. Um, but yeah, that, that play just frustrated me. I mean, still frustrates me to this day because we had them and we haven't beat them since 2007. So, um, but, uh, after the game, I think this is where the media relationship kind of got lost with Danny Hope. Danny wouldn't, he, he refused to admit he might've messed up. I mean, he just, he just kept being stubborn about that. He made the right call, made the right call. would do it again if he, you know, 10 out 10 times. So I think that kind of rubbed the media the wrong way, kind of mm-hmm. how he went about answering their questions after that game. So, but uh, a very frustrating loss because all of a sudden Purdue finds themselves in a one and three hole four games into that season. It's like, okay, this this thing needs to get back on track quickly. Mm-hmm. But it didn't the following week. The home loss to Northwestern 27-21, another close loss. And that's kind of a theme yeah. to this year. Absolutely. They just were so close, very close from being 10 and 2. They just couldn't finish games. And then uh, they lost at Minnesota. This was their uh, Purdue's first trip to their new stadium, their outside stadium they play in today. Um, this is one of the two games Purdue wasn't really real close to winning. They lost 35-20. to 20. I remember – the only things I remember about this game, I remember them blocking one of our field goals, and I remember um, we had a punt that went eight yards. <laughs> yeah, eight yards. Don't remember the details, but – I, th- I think I had to listen to that game on the radio for some reason. So, uh, but then uh, Purdue comes back to Ross Aid, like a one of five record, and they're welcoming the number seven ranked in the nation, Ohio State Buckeyes, who were still coached at the time by Jim Tressel. Terrell Pryor was their quarterback. This was a team that had national championship sites. And uh, night before the game, Drew Brees texted Joey Elliott and said, Go out there, shock the world. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Purdue did. 28 to 16. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm a little behind on my uh, golden black coverage here. I got a, there's the one against Notre Dame. And 
Well, I guess Northwestern. Mm. I'm guessing there was some fumble problems there. <laughs> and then one of Keith Smith, because he was having a really good year at that point. He's having all back in the year. Yeah. And then here, here is the cover I was trying to get to, the Notre Dame one. It says, Stunner, Keen's pick, crucial, and upset of number seven, Ohio State. Yeah, I remember Ryan Kerrigan being an absolute beast. That I game. remember that as well. Yeah. He got deep into the player of the week, national defense player of the week. I think he had – Three sacks, two forced fumbles, maybe a fumble recovery. Mm -hmm. I remember he was just making trail prior's life living hell that day. Mm -hmm. um, but that was just, yeah, that was just a fun, fun game. And I think, I think that was the high point of the Danny Hope era. Yeah, I think it's really kind of where this whole, I mean, kind of fun little game that Purdue and Ohio State have of, you know, no matter how good Ohio State is, no matter how bad Purdue is, the, if they're coming into West Lafayette, and anything can happen. Just kind of because at least at least with Tiller, we were usually pretty good to where if sure. they lost, it wasn't competitive. You know, it, yeah, it was competitive. Or if, if they lost, it wasn't you know they weren't losing to a one man team. But that changed with with Hope. But yeah, that was definitely probably the highlight. I think. Like, yeah. I mean, you could tell after the game. I went back and watched the very end just to see Danny Hope react after the game. And I, I've never seen a Purdue football coach that pumped after the game. Even Jeff Brom in 2018. I mean, he was. Elated. There's some great pictures of him after the game, but Danny was jumping around, just fist pumping, and, and he was right in the middle with everybody with his whistle in his mouth, looking up at the camera. And remember, he was saying it was a great win for Boilermaker Nation. And mm -hmm. um, I think he just kind of felt some stress come off of him. Oh, yeah. Because one uh, and I mean, five in their first year. One and yeah. five, a lot of close losses. He had a, a timeout blunder pretty much against Notre Dame. And uh, then he pulled a big stunner. That not mm -hmm. only was made national, made Big Ten headlines, but national headlines. And anytime Purdue can get in the national spotlight, it's pretty fun. So, so then Purdue was welcoming Illinois the next week for a home game. Purdue got another win, so they're putting two wins in a row together, twenty four fourteen. Um, so then all of a sudden you go from one and five to three and five. With a couple games remaining, four games remaining. Can Purdue make a charge to make a bowl game, which would be huge if they're mm -hmm. not making one the yeah. other four. Traveling to Madison the next week, I think we all saw this one coming. <laughs> Maybe not as ugly as it was, 37-0 loss Jeez. to Wisconsin. Um, and a trip to the big house was looming after that, where Purdue hadn't won since 1966. Um, I was trying to think of what, how, what running back ran for 300 yards against Purdue that day. Oh, John Clay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great question. Which one? Because they've had like 30 of them. I was say, Monty Ball was also on that team, yeah. Do you guys remember this game at Michigan? No. Wait. I don't I don't think so. All I remember was being like, wait, Purdue's gonna beat Ohio State and Michigan in the same year and finish like yeah. the bottom of the Big Ten still. Yeah, well, if you would have yeah. told any Purdue fan before 2009, hey, you're gonna yeah. beat Ohio State and Michigan, you're thinking, Oh my god, we're gonna win. Yeah, we're gonna win ten games, games yeah. <laughs> Not gonna finish five hundred in the Big Ten, yeah. But I do remember this game pretty well. I remember watching. I remember Purdue being down 14 and battling back. It had a lot of exciting plays. I remember um, they had an onside kick at one time when yeah. it was kind of Sean Payton-like. You didn't see yeah. teams pull that out without desperation at times. And a couple trick plays here and there. And they made a Tate Forcier's life um, not fun, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, Purdue walks away with an exciting 38-36 win, which was their first in Ann Arbor since 1966. So so then you're thinking, oh, two games left. Win the next two, mm -hmm. going bowling. 
huge step for brand new coach taking over a program. But Purdue loses a heartbreaker on senior day, 40 to 37 to Michigan State. Yeah, I remember being really, really mad after that game. Just <laughs> thinking like, because I was already convinced we we're gonna beat Indiana. All yeah. I wanted to do was make a bowl because I thought this team had too much talent. I thought Tiller left a lot of talent with this team. And I think it shows with the close scores. This team was so close from having a really, really good season. Just didn't add up. But they did get the they did retain the bucket the next week. 38-21. Jason Taylor had a big day for his uh, final game in a pretty uniform. So, well, Jason Taylor was key to that team that year. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget he uh, got hurt the year before, so he had a red shirt because he was a two-year junior college player. Mm-hmm. So he should have been 2007, 2008. But he got hurt in 08 and didn't play at all. So. Yep. So Purdue finishes the season five and seven. But we're really close to being – Nine and three, if not ten and yeah. two. So, and then, uh, well, here, here, I got some trivia for you guys. Well, I'm not going to ask this one. I was going to ask who led Purdue in passing that year, <laughs> but uh, Julie Ellie had a pretty good year. 267 completions on 433 attempts, 3,026 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 picks. So. Pretty good for the fifth-year senior. Absolutely. He's now uh, works for the Indianapolis Colts. He's a scout for the Indianapolis Colts. So stayed with football for his post-collegiate career. Uh, who led Purdue in rushing? It's got to be Ralph Bolden. Correct. Yeah. But to my surprise, Ralph did not get 1,000 yards. No. 200 carries for 935 yards, nine touchdowns. Wow. After his uh, first two weeks, you would have thought he would have got 1,000 mm-hmm. pretty easily. Um, who led Purdue in receiving? It's got to be Keith Smith. Yep, Keith Smith made all Big Ten. He had 91 catches for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, but there was one guy who had more receiving touchdowns. Aaron Valentine. Yep. Okay. 54 catches for 621 yards, but seven touchdowns. Who led Purdue defense in tackles? I think the obvious choice is Kerrigan, but... Jason Warner. Both good guesses. Kerrigan led him in sacks with 13, and he was named the Big Ten Defense Player of the Year and an All-American. Well, nope, that was the next year. Excuse me. But he, he led he led with, with the 13 sacks. Yeah, that was a bad mistake. But Torrey Williams led the team with 84 tackles. That's not good. If you're a defensive back, this is your team of tackles. <laughs> There's kind of Joe Holland. Uh, Joe Holland on that team, too. Yeah. Joe Holland would have been a sophomore on that team. So Torrey had 54 solo tackles, 84 total. Who led the team in interceptions? Brandon King. Yep, with three. Yep. Fun fact here, Kwan Short had two interceptions on that team. Really? <laughs> I just I was I had the stats up. I wasn't looking, I swear. He was a freshman on that team. So he uh yeah, Kwan Short, at least is what sportsreference.com. He had four no four tackles for loss. No, no sacks, two picks. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> before we get into talking about the 2010 season, I thought we would um, introduce one of our sponsors. We got three sponsors on board this year for the Boiler Breakdown, the season two. We're calling it season two of the podcast. Brand new sponsor on board, and that is Mad Mushroom. The Boiler Breakdown is brought to you by Mad Mushroom, serving Boilermakers since 1993. 
Mad Mushroom is located in the heart of West Lafayette and is well known as the home of the original cheese sticks. But whenever I visit, I like to sit down and have an ice cold beer by trying out their latest pizza of the month. Next time you're in town, stop in and tell them the Boiler Breakdown sent you for $5 off any order over $20. Also, any Boiler Breakdown listener can use a coupon code BREAK5, that's all caps, B-R-E-A-K-5, to claim your discount online at madmushroom.com. Mad Mushroom, feed your head. And get we are really... Possible. What's that? I said get all the cheese sticks possible. Get all the cheese sticks. You can't go wrong with any of the dipping sauces. Nope. Ranch, marinara, cheese, garlic, garlic butter. Get that out of here. <laughs> I like all four of them. So, so get yourself. Yeah, I mean, in a, a large cheese stick makes a good meal. So absolutely. So um, yeah, definitely go check them out. And like 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 they said, uh, let the boiler breakdown sent you, and you'll get five dollars off any order of over twenty dollars, or use the promo code Break Five all caps online. Can't go to Ross. Can't go to Ross Save this uh, this fall, so might as well stay in the dorm room or stay in the apartment and uh, order some cheese sticks for the game. Or even if you're going to have a little socially distanced mm-hmm. tailgate party at your mm-hmm. house, watching the Boilers and Ronda Moore score some touchdowns. So we haven't uh, even talked about that. Hold on, let's just we haven't even talked about that, have we? No, we haven't. But okay. uh, that'll be at the end. That'll be at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I was getting there later, <laughs> so so we we got a few more seasons to cover here first. So anyway, we got to get moving here. This is already. Um, so 2010 season, going into 2010 season, Danny Hope's second year. Um, this was an interesting year. Um, kind of headlines, and, and I should have brought this up before the 09 season, was they got a quarterback transfer from the University of Miami, Florida, Robert Marv, decides he's got a transfer huge to Purdue. It was a huge deal. That, yeah. Robert was a high four-star from Plant High School in Florida, won Mr. Football football in Florida, yeah. Tebow's records in high school. He was the number eighth-ranked quarterback in the nation by rivals. Went to Miami, started two years, but just didn't go very well. Got in some legal trouble. So he's looking to go elsewhere. Well, Miami at first put a ban that he couldn't go to any SEC school or a school in Florida. Well, then they kind of lifted that ban a little bit, but he still couldn't go to any school in Florida or the University of Tennessee or LSU, because those are rumored schools he was looking at. So it came down to walking on to Tennessee, South going to South Florida, Oklahoma State, or Purdue. And he ends up choosing Purdue. That was in May of 2009. And then a few months later in July, he tore his ACL while uh, working out or doing some drills or something. But that was going to be okay in the eyes of a lot of Purdue fans because he had to sit out anyways. So – and we had Joey Elliott, of course. So, so 2010 rolls around. Robert Marv is named a starter. I think I remember uh, that was my freshman year at Purdue. So I remember everybody was buzzing about that. They had number nine jerseys on sale. People were buying them, and everybody was just really excited because okay, we got Robert Marv, got Ralph Bolden coming back, even though Bolden was coming off a torn ACL in spring ball. Mm-hmm. So once that happened in spring ball, he was out for the year. So we're not having Bolden coming back, but we have we have Robert Marv. We have Justin Siller coming back as a wide receiver mm-hmm. now. He got reinstated. Got Keith Smith coming back. So still a lot of talent. You got Ryan Kerrigan, Kawan Shorts, a year older. A lot, a lot, a lot of talent coming back. So I think there were some expectations around 2010, especially because 09, we were so close, even though we went five and yep. seven. So here is a uh, cover 
of the John 10 <laughs> previous is let's make some noise. And Purdue is hoping to make some noise as they started off the year. Well, before we do that, let's talk about the recruiting class real quick. Um, this was Danny Hope's best rated recruiting class. This got, class got rated 49th on scout and 54th in rivals. Ricardo Allen was probably ended up being his best recruit of this mm -hmm. class. He was a high three-star from Florida, starting safety right now for Atlanta Falcons. We also had Bruce Gaston, Joe Gilliam, Will Lucas, Sean Robinson, O.J. Ross, Ryan Russell, Justin Sins, and Cody Webster, or just to name a few that um, contributed a little bit during their Purdue careers. But like I said, Purdue wanted to make some noise. Well, first up, starting the year off up in South Bend at Notre Dame in the Brian Kelly era. This was Brian Kelly's first game as Notre Dame head coach. Robert Marr's debut, as we talked about. Just was an ugly game for Purdue in a 23-12 to loss. A uh, game that they had a lot of missed opportunities, I felt like. It was just a pretty ugly game. Um, Purdue did have a touchdown. Robert Marv ran for a touchdown, got a penalty flag for unsportsmanlike conduct for yep. doing a flip in the end zone. Yep. Came back to the sidelines. Danny Hope said, there's your one. Don't do it again. Because that was his first touchdown he had scored in over two years. Mm -hmm. So he's a little excited. Um, I do remember I, – I was there at that game. That was the last time I've been to Notre Dame Stadium. And I remember early in the game, Robert scrambling a couple times running for first downs and – Dad and I look at each other like, we haven't had a quarterback able to do that technically since Brandon Hance, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Drew Brees a little bit. He could scramble around when he needs to. But we didn't have a guy who could really get out, of, get out of the pocket and run when he needed to. So that was exciting. And, of course, Robert threw two picks that day, but you you saw his arm strength on display. It's yeah. like, all right, this we got ourselves a quarterback. This, kid, this guy's going to be good. He's going to live up to the billing. So return home the next week against Western Illinois – Ugly win, to be honest, 31 to 21. And when, when you're facing the FCS team, you think you should win by a lot more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, two things stick out to me in this game. Alteric McBurse had uh, his only Purdue uh, rushing touchdown of his career on a play where it looked like he was going to be down. He got spun out by the defender, kept himself going with one hand, and ran for the touchdown. Then late in the game, Keith Smith completely tore his knee. His yeah. foot was stepped on by one defender, another defender tackled him, and he – tore, I believe, his ACL, MCL, and PCL. I think it was all three. Mm -hmm. And that was just a huge blow because it was late in the game. It was in the fourth quarter. I mean, the game wasn't out of reach yet, but same time, it's like, oh, man. I mean, the guy's coming off 91 catches, uh, 1,100 yards, and six touchdowns was all Big Ten. And it was the, he was a fifth-year senior, so he was going to have to apply for a sixth year. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a huge blow to the offense, and it this was an offense that was already without Ralph Bolden. So only if only we knew that's when the injuries were going to start and they weren't going to stop throughout the yeah. time. Mm -hmm. uh, next week, Ball State comes into Rossade. Another kind of ugly win, but they got it done 24 13. Robert Marv got banged up in the second quarter, but um, I don't remember if he ended up finishing the game or if, or if it was kind of situational if Henry was coming in a little bit. But I do remember. I, I was sitting up pretty uh, close to the front row of the Rossi Brigade that day, and Robert was walking by and uh, when the fans were high-fiving the – or when the players were high-fiving the fans, and his knee was iced and it was just completely black and blue. Jeez. Completely. So I'm like, that doesn't look good, and that's the same knee that he tore his ACL. So I was like, I wonder if he's got to play next week. Well, Toledo comes to town again, back-to-back -back years. I don't know what was up with that contract because we played at Toledo in 07. Mm -hmm. When Tiller was still a coach and then back-to-back -back home games, I don't, I don't know what was up with that. 
But uh, Robert Marf tears his ACL in the first quarter on a simple drop back. Exactly. Fumbles the ball. Toledo, I believe they fell in it. I'm not, I don't think they scoop and score, but they fell on it. And all of a sudden, Purdue loses their quarterback on top of their best wide receiver and starting running back. Mm-hmm. And Purdue lost that game, 31 to 20. So now you're four games in, you're two and two, and you didn't even look that good in those wins without your quarterback, running back, and best wide receiver. And in week five, you're going to Northwestern, who's ranked 25th in the AP poll. And it's a night game. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, redshirt freshman Rob Henry's first career start. But uh, Purdue shocked the Big Ten and came out victorious 20-17. to 17. Didn't he have like a 60-yard run that game? Yeah, a 66-yard run. It yeah. wasn't for a touchdown, but he showed off his speed. Rob right. Henry's a very fast runner. And then Dan Deerkin had a very solid game. Mm-hmm. He was kind of established himself as Purdue's main running back. And he's from he's from the Chicago, I guess, the, suburb area. So it's definitely, I'm sure he had a lot of friends and family there too. So it was good for him to do that. Yep, sure was. Um, and then we returned home. This was an interesting day around the Purdue campus, to say the least. We were hosting the Minnesota Golden Gophers. It was homecoming. It was the 10th year anniversary of the Rose Bowl team. So they were in the throwback jerseys, the helmets with the rose going through the P. And the Boilermakers were victorious, 28-17. to 17. They played well, but nobody cared nope. who was there because – News of Robbie Hummel re-tearing his ACL for the second time in a handful of months spread around like wildfire. I believe I don't know if it was second quarter or third quarter of the game. I remember, but I know I was on my I was a senior in high school going on my college visit in Tanner. I was with you in the student section and you got a text from someone. Um and then Aaron Lynch, I believe, who was doing yeah, the podcast. Yeah. He was watching the game. And I thought he was joking. Yeah, just knowing him, but uh, and then no. you could just see we were in the students. I could just see like different pockets of people who were also finding it out, and it was just uh, there was a, a good ten minute stretch where I had no idea what was going on in the game. Like no one cared at all no. because of the first day of practice, right? Yes, yep. it was. And it was at the um, it was in the Corec because there was a volleyball or something going on in Mackey that night. So, yep, that was a brutal day. Mm-hmm. Brutal day for the. Purdue Athletics, and uh, and it was too bad because the football team did get a good win, and all of a sudden they're two zero in the Big Ten, and they're sitting four and two on the season. So <laughs> you're thinking, wow, they might turn this thing around. And then the next Rough week they, stretch they traveled to uh, number eleven Ohio State in the horseshoe and lost forty nine zero. Little payback. And not only did they lose, but Rob Henry gets hurt, pretty much tears his finger really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And got it caught in the guy's face mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tore the fingernail yeah. off completely. Ripped up his hand really bad. Didn't even know if he'd be able to play the next week at Illinois. I was at this game. It was freezing. Uh, it was just yep. freezing. We were like five rows from the top. The wind was whipping. It was cold. Rob Henry played the first play of the game, and that was it. <laughs> he was trying to wear some certain glove. Couldn't do it. So uh, true freshman Sean Robinson had to be thrown in the mix. And a lot of listeners might be thinking, why did Caleb Turbush not play? Well, Caleb Turbush was academically ineligible 2010 season. So that's why we did not see him. He was uh, would have been a redshirt sophomore that year, but and he would have been in there. I, I'm guessing he would have been the second option behind Marv ahead of Rob yeah. Henry, but I could be wrong. He definitely would have been ahead of Sean Robinson. Uh, Sean was a good recruit out of Rochester High School in Illinois. He was a high three-star recruit, had offers from – 
Notre Dame, Ohio State, some other big time programs. Yeah. Um, and he could move around a little bit. He was a mobile quarterback, but he wasn't ready for this stage yet. And the Boilermakers got walloped up at Champaign, forty-four to ten. Um, Michael Lashore ran all over them that day. So, so now the Boilermakers are starting to kind of fly, find themselves in a free fall. But uh, and what do you know? Number seven Wisconsin's coming into town the next week, and uh, Purdue did have the lead at halftime this game, thirteen to ten. They lost thirty-four to thirteen. Jesus. Just looking, I just looked at that Wisconsin team just just for fun. They almost had three running backs rush for a thousand yards that year. That doesn't surprise me. Monty Ball was four yards short of a thousand yards. John Clay was a thousand twelve. Monty Ball nine hundred ninety six, and James White a thousand fifty two. Insane. I mean, year in year out. So they each may have run for like 200, 300 yards against Purdue. It was either twelve and ten or twelve and eleven when they scored seventy plus against Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of those years they scored a ton of points on Indiana, I remember. Just ran all over them. Yep. The following week, uh, man, our schedule in the Legends and Leaders thing used to be uh, <laughs> yep. pretty brutal. But uh, we welcomed uh, Michigan into town, Shoelace Robinson. I remember this was a rainy game. I remember Ricardo Allen had a pick six. Mm-hmm. But Purdue came up falling short 27-16 uh, to 16 to Michigan. But uh, the Bull Hopes still weren't gone yet. Purdue was four and six with two games remaining. Same position they were the year before with two games remaining. But they had to travel to number 11, Michigan State. This was still to this day one of the most frustrating losses I can remember as a Purdue football fan because Purdue had these guys on the ropes down 14 in the fourth quarter. Had a blocked punt, a couple other mistakes in the fourth quarter, and then ended up losing 35-31, which ended the Bull Hopes because – I'm thinking in the back of my head, man, if we can upset Michigan State and beat IU the next week, Danny Hope might win Big Ten Coach of the Year mm-hmm. with all those injuries. Because what also I forgot to mention was Justin Siller against Michigan. We came out and lined him up a quarterback at Wildcat, the first play of the game, and he broke his foot. Very first play. It was just like anybody who was decent was getting hurt on the offensive side of the ball that year. Yeah. So frustrating. but um, Just offense, though. Just offense. Defense was still pretty healthy. Yeah. So then you're playing against Indiana. Neither team can make a bowl. Just playing for pride, keeping the buckets. And we lose 34-31 overtime. Is this this wasn't was this wasn't okay. So this wasn't Austin Stars field goal. That was John Seven. That was a couple years prior. That was uh yeah, this was uh, Kevin Wilson beating Danny Hope and uh, Rob Henry threw an interception in the end zone trying to make a play. So because just a field goal takes in double overtime. Yeah. Very maddening ending to the year. Very frustrating year. Four and eight in the year. I think all Purdue fans just wanted to forget about as quick as possible. Besides Ricardo Allen having a breakout freshman year and, and Ryan Kerrigan being the Big Ten uh, player of the year and All-American like I kind of spoiled earlier on. He had 12 and a half sacks that year. And right here the Golden Black cover says everybody's All-American. Kerrigan produced first unanimous choice since 1980. So he was Superman. Would go on to get drafted by then the Washington Redskins, now the Washington football team, where he still plays today, and is their all-time sack leader in franchise history. So pretty good player mm-hmm. from yep. Muck, Indiana, who barely had any offers. Um, okay, for you guys, trivia again. Who led Purdue in passing that year? 
Rob Henry. It's got to be Rob. With Rob Henry, he completed 86 passes on 162 attempts, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. Robert Marv was second, 67 completions for 99 yards. Forgot to write down his yardage, but he had three touchdowns and four picks. Uh, And Sean Robinson, 44 completions on 91 pass attempts, two touchdowns, six picks. Don't have his yardage down either. Who led Purdue in rushing? Dan Deerking. He was second. Oh, I can't remember who was running back at that point. Deerking had the most it's rushing. Probably Henry play. then. Rob Henry. Huh. Rob Henry had 104 carries for 594 yards, four touchdowns. Deerking had more carries with 118, was just behind him in yards with 568 and had three touchdowns. Who led Purdue in receiving? Catches. Who led him in receptions? Is Gary Bush still on this team? He was, but he was not. No. He was a sophomore, but he, he did not. Well, I know Keith Smith was hurt. OJ Ross. Good guess, but no. Kyle Adams with only 36 receptions led the team. Yikes. Who yeah. led in yardage, receiving yardage? OJ Ross. Nope. Junior college guy. You both have probably forgot about this guy. Uh, he, had, he had a big game the year before at Michigan in 09. I can't think. Cortez Smith. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I did not. I forgot yards. about him. Yeah. He also tied for the lead and receiving touchdowns with four with one other guy. Justin Siller. Good guess. Tavian Edison hmm. with four. So Edison had 32 catches for 316 yards. Four touchdowns. So I look back at the 2010 season, I just think of injuries right away. Injuries, yep. injuries, and more injuries, which we had a comment here on Facebook. It says, uh, Hope couldn't get it going. Had great players, too. Kerrigan is a good example. Injuries killed us in 2010. Uh do that was a wash. Hope just couldn't recover after that season. We had a lot of talent. That was the frustrating part. No nine, ten. We had a lot of talent. We went five and seven, four and eight. Didn't have much to uh, to show for it. So, but then Purdue's uh, entering the 2011 season. They uh, think they got a, a quarterback in Rob Henry. It looks like it's going to be Rob Henry's team going forward, and he's on the cover of Golden Black. There it says the making of a quarterback. And then the season preview says reasons for hope. And it has uh, Kawan Short, Rob Henry, Dennis Kelly, Ricardo Allen, Ralph Bolden, and Carson Wiggs. All players who had experience. And there was reasons for hope in 2011. You're looking at the schedule right away. You're like, okay, we should jump out to a uh, 3-0 start before we host Notre Dame. But before we get into that, and before we get into talking about the recruiting class, Got to mention another new sponsor of the Boiler Breakdown podcast. That'd be Webb's Family Pharmacy. Webb's Family Pharmacy is an independently owned community pharmacy with stores located in Rochester, Akron, and North Manchester, Indiana. Webb's is happy to announce that they are providing flu shots by appointment right in your cars. You have no excuse not to get your flu shot. They come to you in your car. So, um, Simply call them to set up an appointment, and their friendly and caring staff will be happy to help you. For all of your high-quality 
medical equipment, supplies, and pharmacy services, check out www.webrx.com or give them a call. Webb's Family Pharmacy, the professional pharmacy with hometown touch. Boilermaker owned as well. Boilermaker owned. Only pharmacists I've ever had, and they are fantastic. Cannot say enough good things about Webb's Family Pharmacy. Locally owned, like I said, three small communities. Great, great, great pharmacy. All right, the recruiting class for 2011. There's a couple guys I got written down here. Brandon Cottom, Akeem Hunt, Raheem Mostert. A lot of fans probably have heard of him. Pretty good running back in the NFL right now. Um, Robert Kugler, Taylor Richards, Akeem Shavers, and Frankie Williams, just to name a couple. Scout had this class ranked 77th, which was Danny Hope's worst, worst to date. Rivals had him at 93. Mm. So wasn't a very highly re- regarded recruiting class from the recruiting ba- uh, websites. but uh, Also had yeah. a uh, kid named Shane McKay. Uh, Shane McKeskey, who just shot to him because I had Spanish class with him, his fifth year, senior year. So, yep, yep. So, uh, I remember this game very well the opening game for 2011, Middle Tennessee State. I remember that game because uh, my parents got the campus and my dad realized he forgot his tickets. So, he had to go to the box office and buy two, which weren't hard to do. They're very cheap. <laughs> so, he was able to get. I remember this game being about 98 degrees <laughs> and Evan Webb wearing. Jeans. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. It was literally the hottest game I've ever it been was, It was hot. It was, yeah, it was It was warm. Yeah. And Black Purdue shirt, was, jeans. That was my that was my entire, <clears throat> most of my college career. And Purdue was playing like hot garbage. Yep. Um, they had a rotation of quarterbacks because I should have mentioned this before. Just when it looked like Purdue could figure out their quarterback situation, Robert Marv was still coming off an ACL injury, which it hadn't healed right yet. I don't know if that was due to <laughs> lack of pushing himself in the rehab part or just not healing correctly, but he wasn't ready to go. Rob Henry was ready to go, but early in camp, Rob Henry tears his ACL about uh, two weeks before the season was supposed to start in a non-contact drill. So then Purdue's find themselves with rolling with Caleb Turbush, redshirt junior, who had missed all of the, all of, uh, the previous year due to academics, like I had mentioned, and also Sean Robinson who was a sophomore, he got one drive in before Purdue, after that game, decided to redshirt Sean for the rest of the year. So Turbush was the guy. Purdue got a win, 27-24, but they needed a Ricardo Allen blocked 47-yard field goal attempt to secure that win over against mid-middle Tennessee State. Not the greatest Not good. start. I mean, it's a win, but it's like, Oh, boy. But I also kind of remember thinking, okay, we got that blunder out of the way. We got Rice coming up next week. We can roll. We were at Rice. This was a home-and-home uh, home finishing up from 1998, Drew Brees' first start. And I remember a few things from this game. Once again, Robert Marv wasn't ready to go, so it was the Caleb Turbush show. First drive of the game, Turbush overthrows O.J. Ross. That would have been a long, like, 80-yard touchdown. It was wide open. And that was just kind of how that day was going to go for the Boilermakers as Carson Wiggs was lined up for a 31-yarder to win the game. And Rice blocked it and upset the Boilermakers 24-22. to One of the most embarrassing losses I can remember as a Purdue football fan. That Rice team was not good. 
Glad I missed that game. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I've, I've kind of blocked that one out. Yeah, I don't remember watching that Wings etc. because I didn't get the CBS Sports Network at the time in my apartment. So, so then Purdue find themselves at one and one, just not feeling very good about themselves. With but they have uh, Southeast Missouri State coming into town, and there's the game program for that day. It was band day and family day. Purdue cruised in this one, fifty nine zero. They ran for a three hundred ninety three. Uh, total rushing yards as a team, which was a Danny Hope high. Uh, Purdue did everything they wanted and more that day. So got a little confidence going up with the Irish coming into town for another primetime game, another night game. So that's two in three years, which were um, ABC. Actually, I think this was ESPN one, ABC or ESPN night game. Either way, first play of the game, Caleb Turbush tries to find Gabe Holmes for a uh, sideline route. Underthrows him by like 15 yards, <laughs> picked off, and then two plays later, um, Tommy Reese found uh, Michael Floyd in the end zone yeah. for a touchdown, and it was just off to the races for Notre Dame, and they 38 to 10 just drumming. Just Tommy drumming. Reese, Tommy Reese, so excited for this game, finally being mm. you know a student for the first time. I see my first Notre Dame game as a student in the student section. It was a night, night game. game. Yeah, you know people were fired up and. <laughs> the first play, just the air, just it's like nope, evacuated. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I was uh, on the sidelines the week before against Southeast Missouri, yeah. and I actually was on the sidelines that night against Notre Dame. So I was pumped, gonna be yeah. on the sidelines. It was like a dream come true for me against Notre Dame, even though it was dream come true being manager instead of a player. Yeah. <laughs> and, but uh, yeah, you get to run out. Get to run out. No, we, we were already we we had already been out there before, gotcha. but uh, I figured. I would always throw the ball around at halftime, catch punts, do things like that. So, yeah, it was just ugly. Like you said, I remember being right on that sideline right there and the ball just being uh, – it was just a bad start. <laughs> and Purdue didn't recover. They couldn't get anything going. Notre Dame was clearly the better team. Oh, yeah. Whooped them. And uh, there's a cover of that program with Tavian Edison on the cover. So, then Purdue finds themselves a 2-2. Two and two. Got Minnesota the following week, which I think it was the homecoming game. I might not have been homecoming, but I know it was fall break. It was really because I actually sat with my parents that game because the games I wasn't on the sideline, I still had to sit in the student section. Mm-hmm. But uh, that game I sat with my parents, and Purdue routed them 45-17. And Ricardo Allen having a pick six. So start off conference play 1-0, heading to Happy Valley the next week, which never is a friendly place for Purdue to play. And lost actually a really good game, thirty or 23-18. I remember being frustrated because this is kind of where the quarterback – carousel kind of started because Robert Marv returned against Southeast Missouri State after missing the Middle Tennessee and Rice games. And then we started getting against Notre Dame. They pulled Turbush in the second half. Marv came in, but then Hope was saying after the game, Turbush is still the guy because he's staying within the offense and Robert's getting outside the offense and making too much happen, which Robert Marv goes on the Twitter saying, I don't know how it's given on coming out of the offense. I don't know how he put that on me. So already some little discussion happening i do remember against notre dame fans yelling at danny hope to put in robert marv and it was really hard to hear because the other players are right there and it's like oh my god like this is getting embarrassing this is getting like cringeworthy so i I remember robert throwing a really bad pick at penn state across his body one time that was kind of a right before half it was a momentum killer and purdue lost a close one in which would produce final matchup against joe paterno yeah, whatever from that whole carousel thing, and I could be remembering it wrong, was that it always seemed like Turbo would start the game, we get in a hole, 
and then Marv would come in and just sling it everywhere. And he'd get into trouble because he was throwing it, you know, a bunch and trying to make things happen where Turbush was being super conservative and not trying to make mistakes, but then not doing anything either. And then exactly. Mark, Mark comes in, just just lets it fly, and there were some mistakes exactly. made. And then he gets blamed for those mistakes. It's like, well, if he didn't have to come in when we're down two, three scores and air it out, then you wouldn't be in the situation. Exactly right. And, and and I saw him practice all the time. Yeah. It was the same thing. It was like we all just kind of wondered why is Robert not getting a chance because he, a lot of days he was out playing turbo in practice. It just didn't make a lot of sense. I just felt like Gary Nord liked Caleb or Turbo, as he called him, just a lot better. So I, I don't yes. know. He was definitely the safer option of the two, so to speak. Yeah. Then Purdue would return home to face number 23, Illinois, who was undefeated at the time. And the Boilers got a surprising win, 21-14. And this was the only game of the season, besides those fir- first two weeks that Robert Marv did not see any action. This was probably Caleb Turbush's best game in a Purdue uniform. It was that day. So then uh, we traveled up to Michigan. This game was an ABC nationally televised game. Don't know why. This is number 17, Michigan. 36-14. Loss at Michigan. Not much more to say than that. So then next week we had to go to number uh, 19, Wisconsin. Another ABC game. I think it was regionally televised. 62-17. to Drumming. So now you're in the near future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now you're sitting there thinking, okay, here we go again. We're going to slide. We're not going to make a bowl for the third straight year. Like, is Hope's job in jeopardy? Those questions are starting to come out. Welcoming the Buckeyes to West Lafayette the next week. Purdue comes out with a dramatic 26-23 overtime win over the Buckeyes. Like you mentioned earlier, Evan, this was not a Jim Trestle coach team because Jim Trestle was let go. This was a Luke Fickle coach team who's now the coach at Cincinnati. Doing Killing really well. It. He was the interim mm-hmm. coach that year for them. This was a Ohio State team that I think went seven and six on the season. Yeah, they, weren't, they weren't even ranked when they came six in. And seven, maybe. Yeah, they were not ranked. So the game that saw Robert Marv come in in relief, they Turbush was struggling, so they put Marvin. Marv started making some exciting plays happen. But just when you think he's leading Purdue for a game-winning drive, he throws a boneheaded interception trying to target O.J. Ross. High stakes goes down score. Looks like they're going to win the game. And Bruce Gaston puts up a mitt and blocks the extra point. Mm-hmm. Takes the game into overtime. And uh, Purdue ends up winning on a QB sneak by Robert Marv, mm-hmm. which he took it himself, took the call himself, reached the ball over the goal line. And uh, that was probably the highlight of his Purdue career. I don't know. You can, when we talk about the next season, 2012, we can kind of debate, but mm-hmm. that was probably the highlight moment, I guess, of his career. And the fans rushed the field, including Evan and I. <laughs> yeah, I remember before that. Before I think it was before that play, or I, I don't remember exactly what, what the timeline of it. But I remember Tanner, you and I both kind of talking to each other, like, "Hey, if we win this game, we are not rushing. Yeah, this is not right. We're not doing this. To do that." And then in the excitement of everything, plus we were like, I think it's like second or third row. Yeah, like, yeah. You just had like thirty rows of people just pushing on you, and we're like, "I guess we're going." <laughs> so, we had no, we had no other option. We we're yeah, gonna get sort of trampled. trampled so. Yeah, but it was fun. So we were out there. Um, so now, now Purdue's right back in the driver's seat to possibly make a bowl. They just need one win in the last two games. Got Iowa coming to town on senior day. Andrew, I remember you were at this game because I remember you stayed with me that week. Yep. You and a friend of the podcast, Josh and Jamie Munt. Um, <laughs> I just remember this being an ugly game, which I uh-huh. felt like Purdue could have won and lost 31-21. And I, I, I vaguely remember a uh, 
weird play towards the end of the game when Marv was scrambling, diving for the pylon. Fumbled. Yeah. Fumbled and hit the pylon. Looked like he was over the goal line, but they called it a touchback. Touchback. I remember that. Yep. And I thought mm-hmm. I thought he was cussed when he came to the sidelines, and he might have been because the coaches grabbed him and he just looked out of it. He didn't even look like he really mm-hmm. knew where he was. And I remember Danny Hope got, I think, a, he or one of his coach got penalty for cussing at the refs. It got really ugly, really ugly after that hit for a little bit. Um, I think there was a fight in that game at one point. So mm-hmm. it's really ugly. Purdue loses. So then trip the Bloomington's on the line the next week. If we want to go bowling, we have to win. And it's to get the bucket back, which luckily, at least in this time frame, we didn't have to say too many times. Um, <laughs> we got to win 33-25. I don't remember a bunch about, about that game besides Josh Johnson sealing it with an interception late. So, yeah, that that IU team went one and eleven. FYI, oh, okay, did not know. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> know that. So, uh, Purdue goes six and six. They're going bowling. weren't that, sure what bowl they did. Team wasn't it? Yep. Wow. Yep. They were zero and eight in the Big Ten. They're um, let's see. Who's their quarterback? They had two. They had oh, Edward Wright Baker and Trey Roberson. Oh, I remember. I remember Roberson. And Dusty Keel played a little bit. I do. He. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, we get sent to Detroit for a bowl game, which yeah, we did Western Michigan, which wasn't the most exciting, but it was a it was a short trip for Purdue fans they could make, and it's our first bowl game since 2007, which was also in Detroit. It's a little little Caesar's Bowl, hot and ready. Hey, at pizza. least the name changed. At least it wasn't the Motor City Bowl. It wasn't the Motor City Bowl. It was the Little Caesar's Bowl, which is not that anymore. I don't even know what it is. It's at Fort Field a and Purdue. Stadium. You were there, weren't you, Tan? Or you on? I was eleven. We both yeah. were there. I thought oh, you were on the field with, as a manager. No, nope, I tried to, but uh, no. I, you got some gear, though, didn't you? you I did it. get all the bowl game gear. Got a bowl game ring. We uh, won that game, 37-32. Weird game, bunch of fumbles, some onside kicks, a kick return touchdown from Raheem Mostert. Uh, a lot of weird things. but uh, Who was the receiver for them that was really good? Jordan White. Yes. I'm just looking at their team. Yeah. He had 140 he catches, 1,900 yards. He was, yeah. he was pretty he was damn good. good. <laughs> he was yep. good. Yep. 17 touchdowns. Yeah. That was a few years before Boat Boy, P.J. Fleck got the that's what I was. That's what I was more curious. I was like, that was he wasn't there Fleck, yet. right? Yeah, Bill Cubitt. Interesting you know. uh, note, Boat Boy was one of Daryl Hazel's nine wins at Purdue. He did beat P.J. Fleck. Nice. When he got Western Michigan. Suck it. So Purdue ends up with a 7-6 record. They get Danny Hope's goal of being bowl champions done. And after the year, Morgan Burke gives Danny Hope, uh, I think, a contract extension. I don't remember the details. It was one-year or two-year contract extension. So everybody's like, okay, I guess he's going to be our coach for the foreseeable future. Um, but uh, more little trivia questions real quick. Who led Purdue in passing? I'd be talking about it was Turbush. In uh, we're talking about yards. In yards and touchdowns. Both. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, he, he had 171 completions for 277 attempts. I actually don't have his yardage written down, but he had 13 touchdowns, six picks. Marv had 61 completions on only 109 attempts, four touchdowns, five picks. Who led the team in rushing? Ralph Boldenbeck. Ralph Bolden. 148 carries, 674 yards, six touchdowns. Keem Shavers right on his tail with 111 carries. Keem five, Shavers. 534 yards. 
Six, yes, he was. Yeah. Six touchdowns. Um, Akeem Hunt had 33 carries, 299 yards, two touchdowns. Caleb Turbush had 83 carries for 333 yards and a touchdown. We ran a lot oh. of read options with them for some I don't reason. That at all. RPOs. Mm-hmm. Yep. He mostered just for Purdue fans, just to make them frustrated. 16 carries, 110 yards, two touchdowns. Probably the fastest kid in the league right now. That's cool. Who led? Uh, yeah, exactly. Who led Purdue uh, with the receptions? And Tavian Edison. He was second with forty-four. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who was even on the freaking team at that point. Uh, Gabe Holmes. Nope. Valentin wasn't still on the team, was he? Who? Valentin. He was. Nope. Two, he's gone. Yeah. Oh man. He was a senior on this team. Kyle Adams. Shoot. I can't even. I can Justin Siller, 50 catches. Oh, okay. He had 474 it. yards, but only one touchdown. Um, and Tate Edison led the team receiving yards with 584, three touchdowns. He was tied with two other guys with three touchdowns. Who were they? Was two Wizzo on there? No. Two Florida boys. That narrows it down. <laughs> two two juniors on this team. Uh, was Ross a junior? Yep. OJ Ross was one of them. And this guy's been mentioned tonight already. I can't think of any other Florida wide receivers. OJ Ross is only one. Gary, Gary Bush. 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 Uh, Since I said him earlier. Mm. All right, and real quick on defense tackles. Oh, man. This guy Beckford. had Dwayne Beckford. Good, yes. Same position. This guy had 52 solos and 94 total. What was Beckford's position again? Linebacker. Joe, Joe Holland. Joe Holland. Yep. Okay. Who led him in sacks? K1? Yep. Six and yeah. a half. Who led them in picks? Ricardo. Three picks, one ah. touchdown. Yep. That's right, because I remember he – so through two years, he had three pick sixes? Because that was his sophomore mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah, he yeah. was on on fire with picks through two years. So, mm-hmm. And before we get into talking about the last year of the Danny Hobart in 2012, I want to mention the third and final sponsor for Season 2 of the Boiler Breakdown Podcast. And they are our returning sponsor from last year. That's Shroff Landscaping Nurseries. For all your landscaping needs, give them a call at 574-223-2769. Doing a lot of fall cleanup right now. I notice my leaves are already coming down. My yard is looking like trash. So uh, I probably need to give them a call and get some stuff treated before next year pops up. I need to do a lot with my landscaping. My landscaping. Being a uh, single bachelor, my landscaping is not up to par. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I definitely need to give them a call at 574-223-2769. And we thank them for being a recurring sponsor of the weather break. Okay, so. This recruiting um, class was, they have 26 commitments for 2012. Yes, and I forgot to show two, a few images here. Here was the senior day program against Iowa with Kurt Kurt uh, Littenberg on on the cover, 
And then he had the seniors, Joe Holland, Dennis Kelly, and Albert Evans before the Little Caesars. And then here's a picture of Danny Hope being world <laughs> champions, beating Western Michigan. When did we uh, – that program reminded me. When did we get the, the jersey change? Was it that year or was it the year before? That year. Okay. Yes, yes, good catch that year. I forgot about that. They got the flywear, the yep. neck and everything. The NFL had the – the numbers that remind me of the Steelers logos and yes, but uh, you you were talking about the recruiting oh, class, gosh. Evan. I forgot about like, it. This was Danny Hope's best ranked recruiting class. It was fifty first on scout, but thirty second by rivals, it included yeah. uh, Danny Anthrop, Austin Appleby, Anthony Brown, Carlos Carvajal, who was a four star tight end who had an offer from Alabama, uh, Paul Griggs, Jason King, B.J. Knopf. Jordan Roos, Ryan Watson, just to name a couple. Did you get Appleby in there? I didn't hear yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, My bad. My yep. bad. He's right there on the program up top left there. Didn't this have – was this year Randy Gregory was supposed to be in there, or was that last year? I don't know what year that was. Yeah. I thought I was looking, I and I thought I remember seeing him. The one, yep. yeah, how he was supposed to come and then was ineligible and then ended up at okay. Nebraska. And now is semi in the NFL, semi something – Except night suspended, yeah. And you know, and there was a lot of uh, like like this cover set strong foundation. It was a new look defense as Purdue got rid of Gary Manuel and got Tim Tibasar, who was coming from the CFL as uh, their yeah. new defense coordinator. And they're coming off you got healthy quarterbacks. So Robert did not get injured in 2011 season, and he got granted a sixth year eligibility by the NCAA, which was nice of them to give him one, which they didn't give Keith Smith one, which baffles me to this day. Um, so you got healthy QBs. You got veteran special teams. You got a lot of experience. You're coming off a bowl victory. You got a, the best recruiting class. So it, it's time to, it's time to go. This is your fourth year. This is your team. It's time to prove what they're about. Um, but the question was, who was going to be the quarterback? You got Caleb Turbush who started every game the year before. You got Robert Marv come back for a sixth year who saw, you know, would come in a lot of times. And you got Rob Henry who was going to be the starter before he tore his ACL. Previous years, so you got three options with experience, which is a good problem to choose from, I guess. So, so do you guys remember anything as far as expectations or anything going into 2012 personally? I don't remember my expectations. I just remember, I remember being pretty frustrated throughout the entire year. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember. Well, I, I remember expecting us to really compete yeah. for the our division title because Penn State and Ohio State were both ineligible. That's right. That's right. Penn State had the um all this stuff go down and yeah. Turner ended up losing his job. Bill O'Brien's new coach. They couldn't make a bowl game originally for four years, ended up only being two years. And then Ohio State had their uh ring selling scandal going on. Urban Meyer was their new head coach, but they couldn't make a bowl either. So it was really a lot of people were saying it was between Purdue and Wisconsin yeah. for that division. I remember and a lot of people were picking Purdue. I remember the Carlos Carvajal commitment because that was a big deal. I know it was yep. even six seven, but big yeah, he never panned out. Never panned out. I remember that was a because I think he was let me check here. I guess he, he was off from Alabama. And anytime Alabama offers and Purdue yeah. can get a guy over Alabama, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But I'll get it right into the first game of the year. We play uh 
Eastern Kentucky, Nanny Hope's old school. They are ranked number 18 in the FCS to start the year, so a pretty good FCS school. Ironically, Caleb Turbush was on the cover for this game, but an hour before the game started, it was released to the public that he was suspended for this game. Still to this day, I'm not sure what it was. They said it was academic-related. Not sure, though. So Robert Marv got the nod, and Robert had his best game in a Purdue uniform, throwing three touchdowns, 295 yards, as the Boilermakers cruised a 48-6 victory. So right away, I think a lot of Boilermaker Nation thought, okay, Robert's going to start next week at Notre Dame. Nope. Turned right back to Caleb Turbush as uh, Purdue went up to face number 22 fighting Irish. But Turbush could not muster anything in the first quarter as Purdue was down 7-0. Robert Marv came in in the second quarter, got things going, got 10 points on the board, threw a touchdown to Tavian Edison and got a field goal. So Purdue found themselves right in the game at halftime. So they go with Marv in the second half. And Robert's playing pretty well, leading Purdue on a Potentially game-tying drive. They're down 17-10 in the fourth quarter. And he gets in the red zone and gets hit. ACL goes bye-bye again. Third time, same knee. So Turbush has to come off the bench. And I will say, on fourth down, he threw a game-tying touchdown to Taven as in that was his best throw as a Purdue quarterback. For as much grief and flack as I give Caleb Turbush, that was an absolute strike. So then Purdue's tied 17-17, but... They could not stop Tommy Reese from getting Notre Dame in the field goal range and ultimately kicking the game-winning field goal to beat the Boilers 20-17. to Remember this game was maddening because Everett Golston, because they kind of had quarterback issues going on too, Everett Golston fumbled one across the goal line. The ball came out of his hands, hit the pylon, should have been a touchback. It was reviewed, still called it a touchdown. To this day, I have no idea. His hands weren't on the ball. Don't know how that wasn't a touchback. And then on the game-winning drive, it should have been delay a game on Notre Dame. Tommy Reese had zero on the clock for a good two seconds before the ball was snapped and the refs never called anything. So I just just remember those two. Mm-hmm. I wasn't at this game. But, um, yeah, just remember that being maddening because I was so confident in how the team was practicing that week. I told my dad, I'll be shocked if we don't go in there and win. Mm-hmm. And we went in there and fought our tails off and came up short. So frustrating. Frustrating, hoping it up 0-4 against Notre Dame, and two of them he really was close to having. Mm-hmm. The other two, not even close. But uh, Then we return home against Eastern Michigan, Torchum, 54-16. Then we had a really fun shootout with Marshall the next week, 51-41. They had a really good quarterback. Uh, I forget his first name. His last name was Cato. He could put up some numbers in the MAC and uh, – I think we picked six to like three times that day, though. It was crazy. Josh Johnson had a pick six. Ricardo Allen had a pick six. I think Feichert picked him off once. Um, but going into Big Ten play the next week, Michigan at home, campus was kind of buzzing because Purdue was off the 3-1 start. And not only that, but they put up 48 points, 54, and 51 points. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best competition, but the offense was proven they could score some points. And playing Michigan, it was a huge game, but yet it was the darn fall break. I actually remember this because we had – I was living in Wiley at the time, and um, I had got – I lived right across the, the hall from my RA, and he's like, hey, uh, Big Ten Network wants to do some special on, like, uh, like, you know, talk to students or whatever, and they asked if they could come to my dorm room and talk to us, and they came. It was, it was pretty cool. 
Yeah, I mean, Purdue was trying to make it a big, big deal. They were really trying yeah. to sell it out, but unfortunately it was fall break, so a lot of students didn't stick around. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so pumped the night before after practice on Friday, driving back to my uh, apartment, um, Kurt Herbstreit was on ESPN Radio, and he picked Purdue. He said, I think Purdue's not only going to win their division, they're going to win the Big Ten and go to Pasadena. And I just was like – Oh my God! Like, like, like we're, we're we're gonna be back. Like everybody's starting to pick us to win the division. He thought we were gonna be Michigan. Everybody's feeling really good because we looked good, even in the loss to Notre Dame. We looked pretty good. And Shoelace did whatever he wanted in a 44-13 just beat down. It's like, oh, here we go again. And just like the previous three years, oh, you get Wisconsin the next week. What a prize! Monty Ball ran all over us. 38 to 14 in a rainy game. So we're starting to see a trend develop where Purdue's not only getting beat, they're getting smacked mm-hmm. big time. And that's starting to be con- a concern with AD Morgan Burke is Purdue's not even being competitive against the big boys. Next up, a trip to the horseshoe to face number seven, Ohio State. Oh boy, this one's going to uh, get me mad. Watch the ending of this game last night. Why? I want to get. I want to get the details. <laughs> it's God. still one of my top three most frustrating Purdue losses as a football fan. I remember smacking, slamming my fists into the floor of Wiley. Uh, I think it was room like two hundred eight or something like that because I was irate at this game. Would you guys say this was the most devastating loss of the Daniel Barrow? Or was it 09 Notre Dame? Ooh. I, I, I argue to say Notre Dame just because it is Notre Dame. And he's beat Ohio State. Twice. This is at the horseshoe against Urban. Right, right. Number 17 yeah. in the country. Yeah. We had it, him. Yeah, we had him. And I will go on, Rick. I, I think if Danny wins this game, he is Purdue's coach in 2013. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't say if he would have won Notre Dame and still lost the rest. I don't think so, but I think if he would have won this Ohio State game mm-hmm. on the road on ABC, yeah, I think he would have been. Um, well, Purdue ends up losing a heartbreaker, 29-22 in overtime. Um, Kareem Hunt has a kick return touchdown. But uh, Landon Feichert picks off the ball up eight points with two minutes and 40 seconds left. All Purdue's got to do is get a first down and the game's over. Mm-hmm. I think Ohio State has two timeouts left, maybe one. Well, first play, Purdue gets out there. It's a false star and Brandon caught him. Then they lose four yards, second and 14. Long story short, they had to uh, punt the ball. So Ohio State gets the ball at their own 39-yard line. No timeouts, 47 seconds left. Who was the quarterback oh. for that? It was Guyton was his last name. Yeah. Rex mm-hmm. Miller had been knocked out of the game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I forget his first name. He's a backup quarterback. I remember, yeah. And so. Kenny Guyton. Kenny Guyton. Okay, so one play later, after being at the 39, they're on 39, they're on our own 22. Guy was wide open. By the time we caught him, he was at the 22-yard line. <sighs> we force him into a third down. They end up scoring. And then comes a two-point conversion, but I had no confidence we were going to stop him at this point. Jeff Hireman, wide open, flick it to him, catches it, overtime. Ohio State gets the ball first. They score within three plays. Then we get the ball, couldn't muster up anything. Four downs later, we're walking out Columbus with a devastating loss. 
Yep. Another example of a backup quarterback coming in and beating us. Uh-huh. Yep. After a promising start of three and one, Purdue drops their next three. It'll be three and four at that point. Then they're traveling to Minnesota the next week. Let's get drummed. 44-28, which saw uh, Robert Marv take over in the second half. Mm-hmm. And it was his team from then on the rest of the season. But after that game, it, I don't want to say for certain, but it, there was pretty good talk going around inside the program that Danny was told he's going to be let go off that game. Even though they're after, four after, years the, after the Minnesota game. Yeah. Mm. I remember that being talked about with the managers pretty well. Mm. I, I could be wrong, but that was the big rumor going around. And you can tell the vibe of the players, they were just done. They weren't believing anymore, even though Penn State was coming into town. And it was a another national game. It was like a 330 start. Purdue had more 330 starts that year <laughs> than they ever have, ever. I don't understand. They just kept getting them 330 starts. Um, but welcoming Penn State in. Got drummed 34 to 9. Couldn't do anything. Three field goals. Couldn't muster up anything. And there was a rumor that Morgan Burke and Danny Hope got in a shouting match after this game. Don't know if that was true or not. But uh, here was the program for that game, Josh. The cover. But uh, yeah. So then Purdue's looking at three and six. They got to win out to make a bowl. Don't think too many people were uh, too hopeful going to um, Kinnick Stadium, a place Purdue hadn't won since the 90s, early in the 90s. But odd thing happened that week which offensive coordinator Gary Nord hurt his back really bad lifting weights. He couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't be the offensive coordinator anymore, so Patrick Higgins took over. Completely called a different game that game than we had previously seen mm-hmm. in, the, in the first eight games of the year. And Robert Marv played really well. With torn ACL, brace and all, he scrambled big time to get some field goal range late in the game. Paul Griggs nails, I think it was a 49-yard field goal to win the game. 27-24 just felt like a huge win at the time. It's like, wow, Purdue, we got Illinois and Indiana coming up next week. They might back themselves into a bowl. Travels to Champaign the next week. That was the one road trip I made that year. Freezing cold game. It was another <laughs> 30 start in a nighttime freezing. It was a very ugly game, but Purdue did enough to get the job done, 20-17. to Setting up a record of five and six going into the old Oak and Bucket game. So you win, you're in a bowl. And Purdue's offense played really well, dominating the Hoosiers 56-35 in what ended up being Danny Hope's last game. And the players knew it, and they carried him off on their shoulders after that game. And uh, it's a pretty emotional day around the program. remember his wife uh, looking at the media and saying, you guys all counted us out. You said we couldn't do it. We won the last three. It's great to have the bucket. Keep it um, going bowling. We didn't really care where. We're in a bowl. I mean, we didn't think we were going to be in a bowl. But uh, the next day, Danny Hope was relieved of his coaching duties. Purdue gets shipped off to Dallas in the heart of Dallas Bowl. We're like, cool. It's a January 1st bowl. Oh, we're going to give you Oklahoma State who's pissed <laughs> off because they didn't get a better bowl. 58-14 was the score of that game. That's all we really need to say about that. Wasn't Danny was there, wasn't he? He, he actually showed up yeah. as a fan, went into the locker room before the game, thought that was pretty cool, and showed what yeah. kind of guy he was, that he loved his players. Mm-hmm. Patrick Higgins was the interim head coach for that game. Daryl Hazel was also at that game. 
um, mm-hmm. who had been named the head coach at that time, coming off a 10 and two year at Kent State, two years <laughs> coaching experience. We were we are going to do a Daryl Hazel podcast next. Might have to break out the alcohol for that. Byob on that one. But, My uh, God. Should be a pretty short one. <laughs> yes, that ended the Danny Hobera at Purdue. Who led Purdue in passing that year? Marv. Robert Marv had the most touchdowns and the most yardage. He completed 166 passes on 253 attempts for 1,734 yards, 15 touchdowns, only five picks. That was a problem he had previous years. Mm-hmm. Purdue was throwing more picks than touchdowns. Caleb Turbush was uh, 108 completions on 189 attempts, 1,150 yards, 12 touchdowns, eight picks. Rob Henry, 21 for 38, 216 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Who led the Boilers in rushing? Akeem Hunt. He was uh, he was fourth in carries and second in yardage. He had 42 carries for 335 yards and two touchdowns. I can't think of anybody else. I mean, I can't even think he was on the team at that point. Akeem Shavers had 181 carries, for okay, 871 yeah. yards, and six touchdowns. All I remember is the quarterbacks that year. Yeah. Ralph Bolden, senior Still year. Still on that team. He's not even on the team anymore. 54 Gosh. carries for 325 yards, but he never scored. Yeah. Looked like he was going to score at Illinois, and he pulled his hammy at the five-yard line. <laughs> Fell awful for him. Caleb Turbush had 49 carries for 63 yards. I don't remember him being that quick. I always thought I was. Well, like, how, what was fast? Four, how many? Forty-nine carries for how many yards? Sixty-three that year. Yeah, oh, there okay. you go. Because oh, he got man. a yard. He was done. Yeah. Rob Henry had twenty-eight carries for seventy-four yards and touchdown. Oh, our old buddy Raheem Mostert, sixteen carries for eighty-five yards and a touchdown. So he wasn't a wide receiver yet. For two years at Purdue, he had uh, thirty-two carries. And how many carries did Turbush have in one season? Well, he had 49, uh, mm. 12, and 11, he had 83. Oh, uh, man. Who led Purdue in receiving that year? This is when Gary my, Bush. This is when the receivers were really – Gary Bush was third in both, in both uh, receptions and yards with 41 receptions, 360 yards, but he was second in touchdowns with seven. This one guy led him in receptions, yardage, and touchdowns. He was a senior on this team. OJ Ross. He was second with 56 catches, oh. 454 yards, and two touchdowns. Keith Carlos. No, he was gone by this time. Yeah. We have talked about this guy during this episode a couple times. He's pretty he was a pretty solid wide receiver at Purdue, really. For everything. Is Antavian Edison still there? Did he beat uh, him every yeah. freaking year of his career? 58 receptions for 652 yards and eight touchdowns. Was he like their leading receiver for three straight years? He was up there. Um, he was always up in the top three wow. or four. Yeah. The defense, uh, who led this team in tackles? Someone tells me like Ricardo. Feicher. Landon Feicher with 80 yeah. tackles, okay. 54 yeah. solo. Yeah. Who led him in interceptions? Ricardo. Ricardo only had one interception that year, but it was for hmm. a touchdown. Josh Johnson. Nope. Feicher. Yep, know. with four. Wow. Who led him in sacks? Bruce Gaston. Nope. The guy was a senior on this team. K1. Yep, was seven. Oh, God. He was so Ryan Russell had four, <laughs> right behind him at four. So, 
I thought he was. I thought last was first year without. Him. Yeah, a lot of uh, interesting memories to look back on. Like I said, uh, um, oh, and I got to pull up. We had a comment on Instagram last yeah. night from uh, Kyle Smith, who uh, played for Joe Tiller as a defensive back and was a three-year GA under Danny Hope. And he said, worked for Danny Hope for three years. Best boss I ever had. The lower on the tandem pole, totem pole, you were the better he treated you and and looked out for you. You couldn't beat that man into the office. As a grad assistant, I would try to get there first to make the coffee. And every morning I'd walk in, the coffee would be made because he made it first. It tasted like crap because he put 30 (laughs) scoops in. He drank a straight black and called it cowboy coffee. (laughs) <laughs> true, true to his character, I'd run through a wall for that guy still to this day. And I think that you will hear a lot of the players mm-hmm. that played for him say that because they truly mm-hmm. loved the guy and they were truly pissed off when he got fired. I remember when they brought Hazel in and all the players had to meet him. A lot of them just didn't didn't want to. Of course, they were going to because I was going to be next coach, except the seniors on the team. They didn't really have to because they weren't going to play for him. But I remember a lot of guys just not happy. I think Austin Appleby, who redshirted that year in John 12, if he didn't redshirt, I think he would have transferred somewhere else because he was. I remember, him, I, remember, I remember him posting a picture of him and Hope when Hope was recruiting yep. him, like him in his, his living room, saying, you know, giving thanks to the guy. I mean, I, I felt the same way. I mean, I I felt there was a need for a change at the time when he was fired, um, but I still like the difference between him getting let go and Hazel getting let go are completely different feelings. I felt really bad for Hope because I really liked him as a as a guy. You just you just felt like you know we could do so much more, which ended up being completely wrong at the time. But Morgan Burke in the press conference said that he enjoyed working with Danny for the ten years they had worked together at when he was assistant and when he was head coach. So this wasn't an easy decision to make or a fun one. But he pretty much said they need to be more consistently competitive, and we were losing too many fans. Oh, boy. Because the fan numbers were dropping. Buckle up. Only (laughs) if we knew what was to come, which we will touch on on our next podcast, hopefully sometime next week in the Daryl Hazel era, which I had always said, be careful what you wish for. Grass isn't always greener on the other side because – Danny's era at Purdue was very mediocre, probably a little less than mediocre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I will always say I never thought he got a fair backing by the athletic department. He didn't no. even ever make a million dollars a year. His assistants got paid very poorly. Uh-huh. I was going to say, you poorly. think about his assistants. And it's so like, he oh. never got to hire a lot of yeah. real quality assistants. And the guys he had, he was loyal to. The, most of them were there all four years. Mm-hmm. Don Lanholm, who I was the manager with, he was the outside linebackers coach. In 2012, he was the defense coordinator in 09. So Danny kept him, even though he changed his duties. Then Gary, Gary Emanuel was the defense coordinator in 2010 and 11. Then Tim Timisar in 2012. Gary Nord was the offensive coordinator all throughout the Hope era. So I just never thought he got really the backing he needed. And that's exactly what on our Facebook page, Kurt Anderson at a comment in our posters just saying we definitely need to include there how the athletic department set him up to fail with no budget and that's putting it kindly for assistance. I mean, that was the thing. I think where a lot of the frustration, at least like I feel like uh, like us as friends and kind of our, our age of finger and fan base in general was really starting to kind of get tired of Burke was kind of the shoestring budget. And, yep. you know, obviously we weren't winning, but also we weren't doing anything other I mean, you saw these other schools you know just really spending money to you know make their facilities top notch and yep. 
there was a whole, uh, you know, hey, we're not getting to the, the arms race of college football, which came down later with uh, when President Daniels took over and we had Hazel at the helm. But still, it was kind of the same thing where we just weren't really doing much outside of changing up uniforms to really set ourselves apart. Yep. I agree. I agree. It was just, uh, you know, I always liked the guy. I mean, yeah. being around him a lot, he was always nice to me. I didn't have too many conversations with him. I had a few instances with him. I remember I would uh, – the guys would catch kickoffs or punts, and they'd throw them to me, and I'd throw them back to the other manager to shoot them out of a jug machine. And he came over to me talking about Raheem one time. He's like, that guy right there, he's a hell of a specialist. <laughs> yeah, hell of a player, hell of a specialist. I'm thinking, then why don't you give him the ball more? <laughs> but uh, then he's like, you think you catch one of them? I'm like, probably not, sir. No. And then uh, I was shooting the jugs machine off prior to the Illinois game. He comes up to me and goes, always want to put a cat in one of them things and shoot it down the field. Here, just go screaming down the field. I just look at him like, yeah. Like, like what? Like, wow. Like, I don't know. Just, I mean, maybe he already knew he was getting fired, but if so, he wasn't in that mindset right then. Like, I don't know. He, he was he's professional. I mean, he was. Uh, yeah. I, he like I said his relationship with the media mm-hmm. wasn't always that great. No, I think a lot of Purdue fans thought he came off as an unintelligent guy, but I don't mm-hmm. think he really was. No, he was definitely a fighter for his players, and maybe too much at times, like you mentioned earlier, Evan. But um, he was a player's coach, so um, just uh, a few wins here or there, and the whole tenure might have been different, but mm-hmm. wasn't meant to be. And uh, before we wrap things up here. I had to share this one. This was my 2011 Halloween costume. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Coach Daniel, I thought it was pretty spot on. It's not bad. Whistles, shades, and all. So That was a fun night going around and as Coach Hope that night. So so, uh, He's not in football anymore. After that, he had a brief stint at South Florida where he was the offensive co- line coach and co-offensive coordinator. And then he was offensive co- line coach again at Eastern Kentucky, which was interesting because he was the head coach before he came to Purdue there. But, uh, yeah, he's not, as far as I know, back in the college football coaching world. So any uh, wrap-up thoughts? Yeah, it's just, I mean, kind of hit on top of just a lot of just inconsistencies and, you know, going from – Tiller to hope, you know, you were hoping to take the next step. I mean, obviously the last year of Tiller was a little bit of a down year, but you're hoping you're kind of get right in right back into where we were with, you know, eight to nine wins, which is, you know, we were kind of getting tired of at the time, kind of like how Nebraska fans felt with Bo Pelini of, you know, eight wins isn't enough. And my God, <laughs> I haven't seen yep. It since. yep. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's interesting. If he has that win at Ohio state, maybe we never get Daryl, Daryl Hazel and, uh, you might not have yeah. Jeff Brown. You don't know. Might not. Yep. Maybe Danny Hope gets you know let go a year sooner or two years later or something like that, and which is a year mm-hmm. before we hire Jeff Brown. And you know, yeah, I don't know. Which we also gotta thank Danny Hope because Jeff Brown. Danny Hope's one of the guys Jeff Brown called after and asked Danny if he should accept the job, and Danny said yes. He said nothing but good things about Purdue, but it also helped that Mike Bobinski was the athletic yeah. director. Now yeah. Morgan Burke. So there's no hard feelings from that aspect, yeah. but uh, he was one of the reasons that Jeb Brown mm-hmm. took the job. He, he uh, had respect for Danny Hope and Good. through working with him in Didn't the past, brought him up and uh, yep. Hmm. So, so next week we will cover the Daryl Hazel era. It's going to be painful. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be, 
Guarantee it's going to be shorter than this podcast, but we'll probably also talk about the return of number four, Rondell Moore, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit about the Purdue schedule as we get closer and closer. Three weeks. To October 24th, three weeks from yesterday, when Purdue hosts the Iowa Hawkeyes to kick off this unique 2020 Big Ten football season, to say the least. But um, with that said, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next week. And as always, boiler up, hammer down. Boiler up.